Hello, hello, and welcome to the Curious Bodhi podcast. Tune in, drop out. We're in sunny London this morning looking at the ducks in the pond. They look supremely happy. Two interesting facts about Buddhism you may not know. One is that the Eightfold Path is fabricated. What that means is the Buddha admitted in one of his suttas when asked, is the Eightfold Path a fabrication, meaning just a guide, an abstraction, an outline? He said, yes, it's a fabrication. So everybody, Buddhists included, who are taking these things so seriously to the T, maybe need to relax on the teachings. Teachings are teachings so that you can assimilate the information in the way that you connect with and that you feel is right. The only judge of anything in the entire universe, whether it's in school, whether it's with your kids, whether it's at your job or in your leisure time, whatever, only you can know it. Why are some people so bad at math and some people are so good at writing or art? Because they assimilate information and they assimilate the universe in a different sort of way. So, if the Eightfold Path is fabricated, and there's a direct admission of this by the teacher, that means if you follow the Eightfold Path but you're not really feeling it, and even if you do feel it but haven't experimented enough with it to verify for yourself whether it works or not, then it's dry book knowledge. And I strongly advise against this for the coming age of humanity and what it means to be a human being on this planet. We all know, unless you were some special child, (laughs) that school probably sucked, at least a little bit. You had classes, some of them were boring, maybe you enjoyed some of them, but on the whole, can you say that you loved going to school? I don't know, but over my lifetime, talking to many people, I've realized that not many people assimilate information and knowledge in the way of the traditional education system. So that goes for everything Buddhism included, spiritual teachings included, art education, the most creative thing in the world included. I believe we have to connect with what we're learning, otherwise we're disinterested. We become disengaged adults and we have many emotional and even physical problems because we weren't allowed to think for ourselves. We weren't allowed to feel what we really felt, especially in childhood. That's exactly what the Buddha and non-dual teachers 
mean when they talk about conditioning. We're conditioned from a young age by our culture, by school, by authority figures who tell you what and how to think, otherwise there was punishment. And I really hope that changes. So the Eightfold Path is a fabrication. What else? In Vajrayana, otherwise known as Tibetan Buddhism, which is quite a complex system, when asked what their version of hell is, it's not filled with fiery demons or some devil. Their version of hell, get this, is using Western logic and rational thinking on the whole to guide one's life. That's their idea of hell. They would rather be tortured in the Christian hell and burned by fire than think logically and rationally like Westerners do. Amazing, huh? So talking from a Western perspective, the Western mind really wants ABCs, one, two, threes, a path, some road leading somewhere, a linear direction, progression, stages and steps, logic and proof. We could talk forever about this, but this is part of a cultural system where we've been indoctrinated to think this way by our forefathers, especially in the Renaissance and when everything was becoming rational and reasoning took hold. And then we have the Victorian era and many other factors that led to our ways of being and thinking as a European civilization. And we can include the USA, Canada in here as well. So we really have to think and wonder why we want a teaching, why we want a specific spiritual path. If we ask ourselves the big question, such as why am I here? What is my purpose? What am I to do with my life? Like many of us do. And we have a lot of theories about this, but these questions, the basic questions, why am I here? Who am I? What am I to do with my life? How should I spend my time? These lead one into the spiritual path. That means that regardless of where you grew up, what your cultural background is, or who raised you, you're allowed to ask these questions as a human being, not as any specific sect or religion or various group. So with the question, who am I, or why am I here? You can get various answers through various paths. And these paths are fabrications for the mind that is not yet ready to understand. Some people do get spiritual truths very easily. They can do the, the neti neti method. I am not this, I am not my arms, I'm not my legs, I'm not my head, I'm not my mind, I'm not what I'm looking at, I'm not this, neti neti means not this, not this. So you can, you can do that until you figure out what you are and you can figure it out. Some people have this talent, they just can do these things easily, 
But for many of us who have been conditioned and considering our ancestry goes back millions of years and human beings, as I remember, have been within the same sort of framework in terms of our physiology and our brain for about 200,000 years. So you have to think the, in the big picture here. Um, this sort of brain needs a framework. So ask yourself why you want a specific spiritual teaching. You have to feel like it's right from beginning to end. I'm not saying there won't be challenges. There will be challenges. Maybe some aspects of the path just don't make sense, but others do. That's where you have to experiment with them. But you have to look in a very, very open way and see if you're learning. And a lot of spiritual teachers, masters, whoever recommend doing a reflection practice, which is good for all people, just to reflect at the end of the day what worked for me today and what didn't in terms of my behavior, my interactions, or my patterns, or maybe I wanted to do something but I held myself back, that sort of thing. Reflection is very good for that. But I recommend if you're just coming into the spiritual path, start small and start with teachings that you connect with. Don't go into a bookstore and pick up a big book on Tantra and go, oh, now I want to practice Tantra because the gods and goddesses look cool. Yeah, they do. They're awesome. They have eight arms and two heads and they're colorful and they're very ancient. But that, in the way of an image and you projecting onto that image, and thinking that it's cool. Maybe you do this unconsciously as well. I'm just speaking very broadly and generally. That can create problems later because it has to be a real connection with what you're learning. Just like at school, the classes that you liked versus the classes you didn't like. So there will be fads. There are lots of spiritual fads. I can name a hundred thousand right now. Mindfulness, mindfulness-based stress reduction, that's a fad. Another fad is the knowledge book. It's a lesser known path, but it's a strange uh, sect where they create groups of certain numbers of people and try to spread this group and you have to do specific things and say specific things and hand out papers. It's sort of like Scientology mixed with Mormonism or something along those lines. You can look it up. Tantra has become a fad because people don't know the true origins of Tantra. Tantra is actually an Indian system which was later adopted by Buddhism, which are very interlinked and interrelated, though they won't really admit it. But today it has become about sex. You think of Tantra and sex together, that is very far removed from the actual purpose of Tantra. 
and the path to liberation. But it's become a fad and a trend to want to harness something, a small aspect like sex or pleasure and turn it into a way to awaken when actually that's not even the specific goal now that I think about it in terms of what they're marketing. But Tantra, yeah, it's a very ancient system and it's a very, 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 very complicated. I'm talking about inner channels and inner winds that are laid in a specific place in your body, which are tubes that you have to know and you have to meditate upon them to untwist these tubes and they're a specific color and males and females have different ones and they're different than the chakra system and a whole heap of other things like remembering and memorizing exactly a mandala inside your head or turning yourself literally into a Vajrayana god or goddess by imagining you're them, like role-playing. It's very, very complex. And the teachings are actually called the secret teachings, meaning that you can't walk into a Western bookshop and pick up a book on Tantra and think that you have the whole teaching because 100% that is going to be not true. The teachings of Tantra are so secret. Well, I've heard this story from a man who was at a retreat in the West and he had to close, him and his group had to close all the windows and all the doors and make sure absolutely nobody outside would hear any word or see anything that they were practicing because the teachings are that secret. And the reason they're secret is because they shouldn't drop into the hands of just anybody because even back then, thousands of years ago when these teachings were new, they knew the nature of human beings, that they would pick up trends and pick up fads and they would gossip. Humanity is not new. We're hundreds of thousands of millions of years old. So they knew that, and this is from the mouth of Vajrayana monks, when you are ready to receive a guru, meaning a teacher, it will happen and you will have to prove that you really want to know. Like being an apprentice. You have to work for something. You, you don't just get it handed to you because if it's just handed to you, you'll take it for granted. You won't assimilate it or you will pass it on and gossip about it wrongly. So they kept it very closed for those who were sincere. And that is a very good way of teaching and learning and keeping something secret or sacred, either word, they're interchangeable. So if it's a spiritual fad and your friends are talking about it, your colleagues are talking about it and they say, oh, I'm trying this, you have to try it. They're talking from their experience and that's fine. You do, we all do. We pick up things from other people and we like to sort of understand 
ourselves through our friends and that's why they're our friends but it has to sit right with you 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 are the most important sit down with yourself and meditate on this focus on this why do i want to learn this am i learning anything from this does this feel right to me and you know in your guts you know we all have intuition it's a very important sense our quote-unquote sixth sense the one that uh shows us maybe what what should i do today how should i spend my time should i take a walk in the park or should i meet this friend we use this sense all the time use that sense to understand yourself and going back to what the buddha taught he said well not as a quotation but do not follow me just because i said these words you try it yourself because buddha ultimately was not a man and that's very hard to comprehend he was in a body we all are in a body but we all have the buddha nature as well within you can say within our body within our consciousness connected with our body we all have that buddha nature but buddha was not a man in the sense that he had an experience after attaining liberation or nibbana like the ordinary person with all of their conditioning all of their problems all of their projections all of their hate all of their lust all of their moving back and forth maybe not doing the right things all of this sort of fluffy human stuff that we do and we know it we know it we have a conscience we know it all of that can be transcended and the buddha transcended that's why he said he was not a man because he saw things maybe through his physical eyes but especially through his consciousness which is a broad scope completely differently than the average man or woman that's important so if you want to see things completely differently than you do now then you have to experiment and see if you're starting to see things differently and this is where human language is a little barrier to this point because when i say see you think oh see looking no that's not what i mean i mean you and your consciousness your conscious experience changes in some major way maybe it's like when you were a little kid and you were in your buggy your stroller and your mom was pushing you and for the first time you looked up and you saw there was some blue above you and some little yellow dot and it was warm and you thought what is that and then your mom said that's the sky and that's the sun now you had words but before you had words you looked up and your experience changed for the first time you saw the sky and the sun you have to know that there was a time before that 
that you didn't know what the sky or the sun was. That's like awakening to liberation or making progress on the spiritual path. Your whole concept of reality changes. And to what degree or how, I can't say. Because each one is different. But there is an expansion of seeing things that you haven't seen before. Feeling things you haven't felt before. Sensing like you haven't sensed before. And knowing what you have not known before. And this is what the Buddha means by experiment and experience and don't just take my word for it like oh that's something I know now I can forget it no it changes and now you know it and the sky nor the Sun never leaves it's still there and lastly I want to say that we're living in the age of image to a degree I believe that has never been experienced by humanity before. We have technology that allows us to self-reflect and focus on ourself in a way that we haven't before. Because now you have a timeline on your phone of yourself. And maybe even Google has it too. Watch out for that. But this sort of age where we're living in the age of image has implications because it adds an extra layer onto reality as an extra fabrication. So normally, before we had technology, say 500,000 years ago, let's just say theoretically we didn't have technology at all. We were just being, and we were naked, and we were living in the forest. And we were watching out for other people and other animals, but we were still human beings. We sensed reality in a completely different way and used our senses very differently than we do now. So if we had to look for food, we didn't have in the back of our mind an image of the supermarket yet. We just found food. Oh. There's some nuts on the floor. There's an animal. Let's grab it and eat it. I'm hungry. So as the human mind and brain, which are connected, which we'll go over in another episode because it's very interesting what is the difference between the mind and the brain. Because of this advancement and this difference, we have a mind full of images. And I can demonstrate this right now. Think of somebody you love very, 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 very much. There. They came into your mind, that picture. You didn't really have to work very hard for it, but it's somewhere in your mind, in your memory. That person seems like they're there with you. We can even go more complicated. Think of the directions you would take to get to your grandma's house, and if you had to leave now, what you would bring there. There you go, that's your imagination. That's how we conceptualize nowadays. We use this sort of sense with images or projections in our mind 
to get from point A to point B or to decide things and we're very visual creatures. So now we add the phone, hoo hoo, the new technology, the phone, the screen. The screen can capture images, thoughts, feelings, perceptions that normally we would have to recall in our mind and we take them as reality. We don't realize that when we're writing a message, we're typing on a device. Yes, we're communicating, but that person, we're not in close proximity using our senses with them. It's not like a hundred years ago when you had to walk and meet your friend or you had to mail them a letter. Even letters are a new technology, but this sort of imaging is creating an extra distance, which the mind already does between our true nature and a false reality full of projections. So really contemplate that because I'm a big advocate of using technology in the right way for the right reasons and to understand a teaching, whether it be Tantra, whether it be Buddhism, whether it be Sanatana Dharma or any of the Vedas, you have to be a living example of that truth. You can't just write it on your phone on Facebook and think because other people know what you're doing or thinking that it's working because I fear that that's where we're going. It has to resonate with you. So think about if one of your family members was dying, would you be there by their side resonating with them or would you be on your phone? I think you would be resonating. You would deeply care about the situation. That's the seriousness of how we need to understand spiritual teachings and how we need to choose our guides, our spiritual masters. And we can't get all of the information online. It has to be a connection with another being and with ourselves. So I'll leave you with these things, these aspects of life to comprehend and reflect on. And I would really love to know your vision about this subject. So email me at CuriousBodhi, B-O-D-H-I, at Zoho.com. And I can respond to you in another episode. Since we live far away, this is the way we need to communicate. And if you want to meet me in person, I'm more than happy because that's what it's all about, connection. Love, namaste, peace, and have a sunny, beautiful life.